Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Um, the older I get and the, uh, the more that I, I try to learn from the Lord, I try to experience Him, I try to, um, to listen to Him, the more that I just cannot believe in coincidence. I can't believe in coincidence. I, th- I, think, I-, I think to say, well, you know what, Blake, that's just a coincidence. You know, that thing that kind of lined up um, when I was reading about this and then it happened, that's just a coincidence. Listen, our God is, in, is far too intentional and far too good of a teacher to just leave things to coincidence. I say all that to say that the last few weeks on Wednesday nights, we have been studying about how to study God's Word. And we've been talking through that, and we've been um, learning from one another and learning from some lay leaders within our church. And uh, I get the pleasure to have conversations with them about this. And uh, with Cindy Ellis, who taught week one for the women, I had a conversation with her, and she talked about cultivating our faith. With Billy, who taught taught the men, uh, he talked about disciplining ourselves in all aspects in order to create spiritual discipline. We need to be disciplined in our life in order to be spiritually disciplined, to read God's word, to study it, to not not just to read it, but to take it in and to let it change us and mold us. With Sheila Sherry, uh, I got to talk with her, and we talked about how God teaches and prepares us for time in his word. Uh, And it's so funny because when we read God's word for it to change us, oftentimes God is preparing us for a moment. So we may read that and go, man, that's really good, but God, what what does that have to do with today? And then inevitably, if we are sensitive to the spirit, we go, oh, that's what you've been preparing me for. That's what you've been walking me through. And in discussing a lot of this with with Rod Sherry as well, we talked about how Scripture is not just a book. God's Word is not just a book where we read it and go, okay, awesome, read that, I'm out. No, it's, it's alive and active, and if you're a young Christian and you read it, then God will teach you through it. But if you've read that same story a million times, God will teach you through it even further. As you grow in your faith, as you grow in your relationship with him, God will continue to teach you through those things. This past Thursday, I had a a meeting with Jay Griffin that I think was, I was expected to be about an hour, Jay, and it was, what, about three? And uh, we, we talked about what we needed to talk about, but then we just began talking about how good God is and how God teaches us through difficulty and difficult times and how he, um, through that, and when we get through those difficult times, we can look back and go, oh, Lord, I see, I see why, maybe. And maybe we can't see why, but we still grow to know that God is good, as we just sang about. Last week, Blaine's sermon talked about, um, you know, probably the most misinterpreted passage of Scripture uh, in Philippians chapter 4, talking about contentment in the Lord and dealing with difficulty. And Lord, in all things, um, I've learned to trust you. I can do all things or I can bear all things through you. And this week is Thanksgiving. Listen, I know y'all are like, Blake, are you just telling us about your day? No, I promise you. There's, we're, we're getting there. Just hang on. We're getting there. I promise. This week is Thanksgiving. It's my favorite time of year. Um, I love Thanksgiving. 
And I love uh, what oftentimes it requires us to do to just kind of reflect back on what we're thankful for, what we're grateful for. Now, here's where it all wraps up, right? I've known I was going to preach today for several months, and I've, I've prayed about what God wanted me to teach on and prayed about what, what, what God was wanting me to speak on, and it all landed at gratitude, which you're like, good job, Blake, Thanksgiving week, really original. Hear me out. Um, more specifically, gratitude in the dark, gratitude in times of hardship, you see, uh, sitting with, and I, and I encourage you, like, sitting with, with all the people I just talked about and, and talking about hardship and hearing stories that they've walked through and examples of what they were talking about, we learn so well through stories, right? Like, most of Scripture is a narrative because we learn really well through stories. You look at, you can probably remember stories your parents or your grandparents told you as kids, and all they, they may have told you once or twice, but we remember and I, lo- and I love that. I love that, that we learn so well through stories. And I love hearing those stories. And I love hearing about that. And I love the fact the scripture is narrative and that we can learn from those stories. So naturally, we're going to one of the few books that isn't today. And we're talking, we're talking about what someone was feeling through one of those stories. That, I, I, love, I love reading through Psalms. I love reading through Psalms because what Psalms is, is it, it's kind of like when, when we see, David wrote about half of the Psalms, and we, we know when he wrote a lot of them in terms of his life. So as we read First uh, and Second Samuel in the beginning of Kings, and we read all these things that David did and all these things that David experienced, and then we can read the Psalms and kind of understand where he was feeling. Now, we'll, we'll hear what he says he's feeling, but this is like we're reading David's deepest feelings. His most, his most guttural feelings, his most um, just basic instinct feelings, like the most, the most just agonizing. We can read it, and, we, and some of them we read, and there's such joy and happiness in them, and then some of them we read, and there's just such sorrow and brokenness. Sometimes they're written in real time when he's dealing with what he's dealing with, and, and we see where he's writing that in the moment, but sometimes... They're written in hindsight, where David is reflecting on his life. He's reflecting what he's been through, and then he writes this psalm. And this is what we're reading today in Psalm 30. We're reading David's hindsight thoughts on a moment in his life when God humbled him because of his pride. You see, it's not hard to see that God kept his hand on David. Right? When we read the narrative of David's life, man, he, he killed a giant when he was just a kid. He, 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 he dodged Saul and all the times that Saul tried to kill him. And he had countless enemies and all this. And as we read that narrative, we can see undeniably where God had his hand on David. No one can deny it. No one is that lucky. There's no such thing as that coincidence. We can see where truly David was faithful to the Lord. However, it's it's evident from this psalm, and we can maybe we can see it. It's so easy to read these things again in hindsight and go, "What were you thinking?" But this psalm is about a time when David allowed arrogance, entitlement, and just overall self confidence to seep in and to infect him. 
He began to buy his own hype. He looked around at his wealth and power and influence his armies, and he lost sight of who had blessed him in the first place. What this psalm teaches us is that gratitude toward God in all circumstances is non-negotiable. We can't take a break from it. We can't go, man, Lord, I've really been leaning on you a lot lately. I'll tell you what, I got the next little bit. Or we can't in moments of difficulty go, you know what, Lord, you're unfair. You're this, that. Again, we can't do that because gratitude in all circumstances is non-negotiable. In fact, ingratitude is the beginning of sin. When we begin to develop that pride that maybe I know better, maybe my way is better. You know what, maybe, maybe if I just did it my way, it'd be better. We begin losing gratitude for God and who he is. You see, with every human, there's this longing toward the truth that God is our creator and that he is good in all things. We're desperate for it. It's, it's when, we, when we hear, you know, uh, people who aren't Christ followers say things like, there's got to be more to this life. It's that longing within us that every person feels. The, the most passionate, indignant atheist has a feeling that surely there's something more. Now, he may reject completely that it's God, but there's still that desire within them. In fact, Romans 1.21 speaks to this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile, futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We've got to understand that at all moments, good, bad, ugly, we are vulnerable to pride. We are vulnerable to entitlement. In times of prosperity, we're, we're, we're at danger. We're vulnerable in times of prosperity because we typically do one of the two things where maybe I'm tempted to believe that I'm the one who brought about my prosperity. Man, I've worked hard. I've scrimped. I've saved. I've hustled. I've fought to get what I have. Everything that I've done is because of me. I've done all this. I'm a hard worker. I've done everything to get what I have. It's not luck. It's doing the best that I can. I did the best that I could. I said no when I needed to. I said yes when I needed to. And all of that is because of me. We can see where that could kind of be tempting to understand. God blesses hard work. God blesses us when we work hard, when we, when, when we do that. And we're, not, we're definitely not called to be lazy. So we can see where maybe that entitlement could seep in. We can be tempted to believe that worldly prosperity equals God's blessing. Well, whatever I'm doing is working, man. Making great money, doing all this kind of stuff. You know what? Clearly, if I'm doing that... And I'm getting this, clearly that means God loves me. Clearly that means I'm doing what's right. I'm doing well, therefore I'm doing what's right. God's blessing it. The problem is that both of these are a focus on our own worldly kingdom, not on God's. Focusing on what I get from it, focusing on what I've gotten, what I have, my possessions, my mountain, my kingdom, all of this is mine because I deserve it. Likewise, in hardship, it's dangerous. Now, you may say, but, but Blake, but typically in hardship is when people lean into the Lord. Yes, but at times, imagine if you have this mentality that if I do what's right, then I'll get what I want. It's the same one as, the first, as, as that first principle. I'm tempted to believe that I did everything right and God didn't bless me. Now, when I say bless, I mean that is our definition, not God's. 
I did everything right and God didn't bless me. My work should speak for my loyalty. You're being unfair, Lord. It's, it, why wouldn't you bless me in this moment? You're being unfair. Or I'm tempted to believe that I'm justified in my sin and it's unfair for God not to honor my justification. God, if you really were loving, you wouldn't make me experience consequences of my own rebellious actions. You just don't understand, God. Yeah, it's bad for them. I get it, Lord, those crazy sinners over there. But God, but look at my situation. I deserve this. They deserve what I did to them. Both of these thoughts come from a lack of trust in God's timing and in God's sovereignty. Trusting that God is all-powerful and all-knowing. You see, maybe God's teaching or preparing us for something that he's calling us to. Maybe he's preparing us. Again, James chapter 1 talks about, talks about that, that you know, count it all joy when we experience trials of various kinds. Maybe he's preparing us for that. Or, as is the case in the psalm we're going to look at today, God could be humbling us because of our sinfulness. Or maybe both. Regardless, if we are going to claim to trust in the Lord, if we're going to trust in the Lord, it means trusting in his ways, period. We ask, well, God, why did you give this all to me? Or why why did you take it away? Well, it, it leads us to the question of, do we love God because of who he is or because of what he gives us? You see, my gratitude towards people or things is purely transactional, right? That, that may seem very cold, but let, let me explain. I'm thankful for my house because it keeps me warm. I'm thankful for my house because it keeps me secure. I'm thankful for my phone because I can get in touch with people. I can look after my family. We, we live here. We don't live near family, so we can FaceTime and we can call and we can text. and we all do that. I'm thankful for my phone for those reasons. More specifically with my family. I'm thankful for my family because of the way that they make me feel. I'm thankful to them because they, they, make, me, they make me feel wonderful. They make me feel great. Again, if you've ever had kids, you know that like... You've never experienced true heartbreak or true just pure happiness, right? Like that, that, emotional, that emotional spectrum is here, and then you have kids, and it's like, and it blows both ends out, right? Like, like again, it's, it's, it's this incredible moment, and, you know, you know I love my wife because, because I love that she loves me. And because of what she does for me, and because how, how she ministers and loves me. But with God, it's the opposite, We're grateful for him, not because of the purpose that he serves, but because he himself establishes our purpose. It's the very foundation of everything we do. Yes, we, yes, God gives us things. God gives us things, and and everything God gives us is purely from his grace. And my family gives me purpose. But even that purpose that my family gives me is rooted first in the purpose that God gives me, first and foremost. If our love and gratitude toward him is contingent only on what he gives us, we don't actually love God. We love his stuff. We love the things that he gives us. We love what we get from him. In every moment, we must trust the Lord and show gratitude for his ways because everything he does works for our good. Everything. 
Again, no, 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 well, here's, what about these things? Yes, everything he does for us works for our good. Well, you ask, well, why, Blake, why would God let me go through something if I trust him and he loves me? Well, we have the answer in, in, in our physical world, right? Our physical world. If I want to lift more weight, what do I have to do? I have to lift weight beyond what is comfortable, and I continue to do that. And as I get closer, I can lift more weight. And then I continue having to go beyond my comfort zone. If I ever get settled with that particular weight, I plateau. If I stop completely, I lose it. If I want to run further, I have to run beyond what is comfortable. And I, the next day, I can run a little further and a little further and a little further. If I ever stop running, I lose what I've gained. However, when it comes to spiritual difficulty, we feel it's unfair for God to push us past our comfort zone. Well, if God, if God loved me, he wouldn't make me do this. If God loved me, he wouldn't allow this to happen to me. No, because God loves you, he allows you to go through difficulty. Because God loves you, he allows you to walk through hardship. Because at the end of the day, we have tendencies of pride and entitlement, just like we're going to talk about David did. It forces us to ask questions and to expose our own motivations. Question like, why, why am I thankful for God's grace? Is it because apart from it, we are hopelessly bound to eternity of separation from God and earned suffering due to our conscious and chosen rebellion? Or am I thankful for God's grace in our mind because it gives me a license to sin, I can then ask forgiveness and then feel better about what I did? We are so desperate to avoid consequences. We are so desperate to avoid consequences. Like, again, my, my generation and younger, um, more seasoned generations, that's a better way to put that, uh, a lot of seasoned generations will look at younger generations and go, oh, they just want to avoid their consequences. Well, that's a natural tendency, and to a certain extent, that is true, but that's a natural tendency of all of us. You never had to teach your kids to lie, right? No. Did you do that? Nope. Well, then who did? You know, again, we're get a five year old. We're walking through some of that stuff right now, um, but you never had to teach your kids to lie. We naturally try to avoid our consequences. We naturally try to get away from what what is happening. But even when we try to dodge them, and if we don't, sometimes we try to act as if God even blesses our sinfulness. We, we, our sinfulness and our sins lead us to a place of rock bottom. And we say, well, God led me here. No, God did not lead you to rock bottom. Your choices did. But, but God in his infinite grace can use that place to bring you back up. God in his infinite grace can pull you out of that. Grace is found behind Repentance. Grace is found from a place uh, where, we, where we say, God, I know that I'm not right, and I know that I'm sinful. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. So to Psalm 30. I'm there now, I promise. Um, I, I, wanna, I want you to practice doing this. I try to do this, and, and the Psalms are a great place to do this. Uh, if you go through, if you highlight or you write in your Bible, I want you to underline Every reference to God in this psalm, meaning if it says God, if it says Lord, if it says he, or if it says you, um, if it's referencing God, I want to encourage you to circle it or underline it. 
It just helps us kind of see where, where David's mind is and where a prideful heart has been shifted to one of reverence and one of gratitude. So we're just going to walk right through it. Verses 1 through 3. I'll extol you, O Lord, and you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those down in the pit. So David has been dealing with an illness, and uh, it's a pretty significant illness. This isn't just a, uh, it seemed like death was inevitable. You know, the doctors have come in. They've said, there's nothing we can do. Say your goodbyes. This is where David is to this point from this illness. It was so far gone that only God could rescue him. And in fact, the word that he uses is, you have drawn me up. Think of a bucket in a well. Again, you have reached down and you have drawn me up. For a more modern thought, if you've ever watched like Coast Guard rescues, like they're unreal. Like there'll be a shipwreck and there'll be someone floating and the waves are huge and there's debris and it's danger all around and it's terrifying and all of a sudden a helicopter comes over and someone jumps out of the helicopter into the danger. They grab the person, they swim them, the helicopter lowers a basket, they lower them in there, and they pull them above the waves, above the debris, above the danger, above all of that. And this is what David's saying, like, Lord, it was inevitable. Apart from you, I couldn't be rescued. Only you could save me. And have not let my foes rejoice over me. Now, this may seem self-serving, but... We've got to remember that in this, everything David says is to give glory to God. So you've not let my enemies overcome me. You've not let my enemies beat me. But listen, he's speaking to the promises that God has told him. You will be king of Israel. I will bless you. Every sentence points to the glory of God. And again, why would he now remove, God or remove David from his throne in Israel if he had chosen him? Well, again, you can almost imagine David hearing the voices of his enemies saying, you said that your God chose you to be king. Clearly, look at you laying in the bed, a husk of who you once were. Look at your own death's door. Really? Your God chose you? All this that you've said about God's promises, he chose you? You? Look at you. David's saying, God, you did choose me. I told them, if they rejoice over me, if, if I die, if I lose myself, it, it, it doesn't make sense. God, I was chosen for this. You chose me. And then we see this, this string of, uh, of moments where David says, you have healed me. You have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. You see, David's healing was nothing short of miraculous. No amount of doctors or medicine or, or, or anything could have saved him from this. He was on death's door. It was 100% God's hand, no question, none whatsoever. Anyone who saw him would have known that this wasn't of us. This wasn't of human hands who did this. This had to be something greater. God rescued me. And David, in his gratitude, in this reflection of what God has done, and in in this, in the, as he's getting more and more excited, he has this just outburst of praise. 
Again, he's been saying, you, O Lord, you, O Lord, you, O Lord. And again, now he begins to speak to those around him. Sing praises to the Lord, you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints. Here in a minute, we'll understand what, what David's kind of mindset was and why God humbled him. But it had to 100% do with his pride. And now he doesn't even say, you know, listen, my people, praise the Lord. My people, people of my kingdom. No, 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 no. These are not David's people. David's to the point of humility saying, no, God, you're, you listen, saints, those who love the Lord, you, praise his name, praise his name. Don't, I'm the, David, you're king, fine, whatever, praise his name. Don't praise me, praise his name. Give thanks. Be grateful, because his anger is for a moment. We will experience that. But his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. How do we experience gratitude in the night? When we, when we can feel that during the most difficult of hardships, how do we experience gratitude? How do we step into that gratitude, to that mindset or heart set? Or how do we lean into that? Well, it's pretty simple. Much easier said than done. We must accept God's judgment for our sins if we hope to gain his blessings. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. If we replace weeping with God's disfavor and joy for God's favor, God's disfavor may tarry for the night, but his favor comes in the morning. And guess what? His favor is for a lifetime. It's continuous. Yeah, there will be moments where we experience that disfavor, but it brings us back to him. It's God's way of fixing us and correcting us back to what our focus should be. When we become prideful, when we become sinful, when we begin leaning into things that we shouldn't lean into, it's God's way of saying, no, come back to me. Matthew Henry said, if God in wisdom and justice turn from us, yet it will be the greatest folly and injustice imaginable if we turn from him. No, don't turn from him. No, let us learn to pray in the dark. Let us learn to sit in that experience. At our lowest moments, we must learn to express gratitude toward God. And at our highest moments, we must learn to express gratitude toward God. You see, gratitude isn't seasonal. It's not just about Thanksgiving. We, now, don't get me wrong. We, we use this time to, to reflect on what God has given us and all that. And that's great. And we should do that. But it should not be seasonal. It should be consistent. It should be constant. We should be expressing that gratitude in every aspect of our life. We should be looking to Him in everything. We should be looking at Him in the most difficult of times, in the most difficult of hardships. And again, we see David, well, getting there, getting there, sorry. 
Where is our joy? Some of those joyful people that I know call themselves Christians. And at the same time, some of the most negative people I know call themselves Christians. If we're so grateful for God, then why aren't we encouraging others around us? Why are we so content with just being where we are? We, we look around and again, we, we, we on staff, we read uh, stats about churches and we look around and everybody's seeing the stats and all of that. And we look and we go, why, why aren't people coming to churches? Why aren't people coming to know Jesus? Why aren't people leaning into him? Into him? Well, as Christ followers... Maybe we should look at our own actions, words, and ways and ask, can the world see the benefit of God in my life? Do I look different than the world? Am I more joyful in the world? When bad things happen to me, do they see a difference in me or do they see the same thing that they would do? Or, better yet, do I look even more miserable than they do? David moves from this moment of praise to a moment of confession. One of the most incredible things about reading about David is we know a lot about his life. We know the worst things David ever did. Imagine that was you. The worst things that he ever did. We know about them. We know about how he thought through them. We know how God, how God corrected him from them. We know about the results and the consequences of his sins and his actions. And here we see yet another one. Verse 6, in the beginning of his confession, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Now, your Bible may say prosperity, it may say secure, or when all was well, or when I felt safer in my abundance. But, but regardless, uh, imagine, imagine David who has walked all through he's done, and he, all through what he has, and he gets to the point and he looks at his kingdoms, or he looks at his kingdom and he looks at his armies, and he looks at everything around him, and he says, I'm untouchable. I shall not be moved. I am untouchable. I am greater than everything around me. This is a far cry from the shepherd boy who, with a cowering Hebrew army behind him and an arrogant Philistine army in front of them being led by a champion who was a giant, fully armed, decked out. I mean, his weapons were borderline unwieldable by anybody else. Walked out there with no armor, with a sling and some rocks and walked up to a giant and the giant laughed. Sure, again, the odds are not in David's favor from the looks of it. The optics aren't great. But David walks up to this giant after the giant laughs at him. And he laughs at the Israelite and he puts him down. And David says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. So that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. Whew. Think about the confidence one has to say that. Think about the confidence you have to say to walk up to a giant against something that, that makes no sense, that you have no chance to. And this little, again, uh, again, back to kids. Like, kids have this great, hilarious thing sometimes where they just have a lot of confidence in who they are. 
And again, it, man, and again, you see this boy walk up. Just, I mean, and again, his confidence not in himself. He's not like, hey, man, listen, like, I'm, and again, he told, they're like, David, stop. And he had told them, listen, I killed lions. I've done all this because the Lord's with me. Not because I'm special, because the Lord's with me, because I trust in him for who he is. And he walks up to this giant and just squares up and says, listen, you have nothing. You are nothing compared to the Lord because this battle is his. I just get to be a part of it. David had lost that giant slaying confidence going from the battle is the Lord's to I shall never be moved. He had lost his giant slaying confidence he had in the Lord and he replaced it with a misplaced confidence in himself. God forbid we ever lose sight where our blessings come from. And after we've seen David's praise, and we'll see later on, God forbid we ever shun away from God's correction of our misplaced confidence. That's a hard thing to be okay with. That's a hard thing to, to, to say yes to. But Verse 7, By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain strong. You made it stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. However, because of, God, of David's arrogance, the man after God's own heart lost the favor of God. He lost sight of him. Da- David had depended so deeply on the Lord in his life. Again, not only from the giant slayer, but to running from Saul to battles to all these different things. David just said, yes, Lord, whatever you say, whatever you say, I'll do it. And David felt he'd lost that, and it was devastating. He was reminded in this moment that at just a moment, God could take everything away from him. Anything good that he had, any army, kingdom, um, anything, God could take it away. Because the only reason he had anything, anything of goodness, anything of, of abundance was purely because of the grace of God in his life. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord, I plead for mercy. David is vividly reminded where his good fortune comes from. 9 and 10, we see this this desperation. He says, what profit is there in my death? He's speaking to God, David is. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. Hear me, God. Please hear me. This isn't one of arrogance. It's one of someone who had lost something he'd held so dear. God, what what glory will you gain from my death? What will you gain from, if I die here, Lord, what do you gain from this? God, you'll lose a worshiper. Look at, God, you know my life. You know everything you've brought me through. My life is a testament to you. The only reason I am where I am is because of you and your grace and your goodness and what you are capable of. Lord, please come back to me. Be my helper. God, please come back to me. Desperate, broken. And yet it forces me to ask, how much do I trust the Lord? Am I so dependent on him that I can feel his favor is when it's with me and when it's not? 
If I've been put on this world for a purpose, if God has a purpose for my life and I have, in, in the glimpse of eternity, I have very little time in this world, am I using my time in this world for his glory? Am I, am I sacrificing my, my fleshly desires and giving in to what God wants me to do and surrendering to him? Is my life about being kingdom-minded and focused on my creator? Is God's glory reflected in my time, my thoughts, my words, my actions, my relationships, my marriage, my parenting, my finances? Or am I just okay and satisfied with God just kind of being part of life? Well, I go to church on Sunday, unless something else comes up. I read a quick verse of scripture every morning. In fact, I got an app where it just pops up. It's great. Read it quick. Boom. Check off the list. Feel good about myself because of that. I'll also say if every time you read God's word, you leave feeling good about yourself, you're probably not reading God's word in an appropriate way. We compare ourselves to others around us. Well, man, I'm not nearly as bad as them. That dirty old sinner, whew, I know some things. I know what they're going through. Lord, you're lucky you have me. Honestly, God, I've followed you all this time. I've done exactly what you've told me to. Look how good I am. Look how great I am. God, I'm not nearly as bad as them. We love them. Welcome. We share a Bible verse on social media and convince ourselves that we're making the world better, pointing people to Jesus. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with sharing a Bible verse or there's nothing on social media and there's nothing wrong with those things. But if we're not spending true intentional time in the word, then we're missing it. Sharing that doesn't, doesn't make us more spiritual. Five minutes later, we go to the comment section of a post we don't agree with and blast everybody there who agrees with the person who posted it. Amen. Do we crave a relationship with the Lord? To reiterate what Billy talked about the last two weeks, do we absorb and live out and reflect God's word in our life in every possible way to our coworkers, to our families? Proverbs 132 through 33 says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. It doesn't say we'll avoid it. Are we complacent in life, complacent with where we are, complacent with what we do, with our routines, and with, with, with where we are in life? Or are we content? If everything else in life is taken away, if everything else is pulled away, if, if one day, like Job, we lose everything, are we still content? Are we still, are we still dwelling in the Lord? Do we still seek Him? Do we still want Him? David goes back to praise, and a lot has changed from when David experienced this sickness and when David uh, confessed this to when David's writing this. There's been this radical change in him. Verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Who has turned it? The Lord. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me in gladness. 
This isn't just a change in perspective. This isn't just a change in, you know what, I'm going to try to see the silver lining. No, this is a pure dependence on God and God changing a man. You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. It is, it is unfathomable to me in a world, and, and maybe it's the world that we live in, in a world of self-help, in a world of change your perspective and change the way you look at it and change this, that, and the other. It is unfathomable to me that God in his infinite grace will restore, will restore my joy in him. He will restore it. Him, not you, not changing my perspective. It's not about changing the way I look at it. It's not about changing that. It's truly about emptying of myself, emptying of my pride, of my selfishness, just dumping all that out and throwing it to the ground and pushing it aside. And when we read about Paul and we read about what, what he'd gone through and we have a list of Paul's accomplishments of going, hey, listen, if you really want to talk about who was a good Jew, look at me. Look at all these things. Look at all this. Look at what I did. Look at all these things, all this. And he goes through the whole list and he says, I count it all as rubbish, garbage, nothing, trash. If, if we feel complacent in our relationship with the Lord, that is not God's desire for us. That is not where God is holding us. Maybe we're holding on to something other than him. Right before his crucifixion, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he reiterates something like this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your joy will turn, or your sorrow will turn to joy. What are we looking at when we look at when David says, my glory? What is he expressing? Prosperity, his wealth, his kingdom, his victories, his success, all of this, all these things, my glory. Listen, David had many accomplishments. If you just wrote them all down, you go, oh, he's a pretty accomplished guy. Listen, the greatest accomplishment that King David ever had was how often he said, yes, Lord. Okay, Lord. You see, because Scripture doesn't describe him after a man after God's riches or a man after God's favor or a man after God's glory. He was a man after God's own heart. He wanted what God had, he wanted, or he wanted what God wanted. He wasn't perfect, but he honored God in his faith. He believed that God was who he said he was. In his trust, he trusted that God knew what was best. His love, he sought the Lord out of sheer affection for him and his statutes. In humility, again, he shared his entire life. We see all the laundry of King David. We see everything that David ever did. And he owned up to his mistakes. He honored God in his integrity. He took the punishment and the discipline that the Lord took on him. 
We also see areas where, where God where, where God was punishing the people of Israel because of David's uh, because of David's actions, and David saying, "God, no, 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 punish me, punish my." It was me. So, what about your glory? You may say, "Blake, last time I checked, I ain't got an army or a kingdom or riches." Or a story like David's? Well, do you honor God with your words? With your thoughts? With your actions? With your deeds? With your time? Luke 6.45, Jesus says, The person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the, per- and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks Go back to verse 12. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh Lord my God, I will give thanks forever. David had no problem expressing who his hope was in. David had no problem telling you what he had done and what God had saved him from. What he'd walked through. What he'd experienced. His sin. Because he understood God's grace. He understood that... uh, that, that God could still get glory despite all of that, despite all that he'd done. Yet in my life, I'm often tempted to, to not talk about my shortcomings, to not talk about my frustrations, to not talk about the times when I've been sinful because I have this idea that I want people to think. Some of, some of that, I'll, I'll be, oof, I'm going to be very transparent with you, church. Some of that is being a pastor. There, 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 is this, there is this temptation that when people say, how are you today, to be like, I'm great, fantastic, wonderful. If I told you that today, that's 100% true, by the way. It's a lot harder sometimes to say, man, I am struggling. Honestly, I just don't understand. I just don't understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. And again, some of that's pastoral, but I'd be willing to bet that if we all searched our heart, we all have got a little bit of that in us too. How are things? Great. Wonderful. We try to, to push those things away. We try to keep our, like, in, in God in punning, punishing us for our prideful sin, we try to continue to be prideful. We deal with difficulty, but we don't want people to know we deal with difficulty. We, we struggle with things, but we don't want people to know that we struggle with things. We don't want to share what God has done. And then if God does bless us and God does, does give us grace, which he's faithful to do if we're faithful to repent, we don't want to share it because, well, what will they think about me in my past? Paul said in Corinthians, or in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, for this light momentary affliction... He's preparing for us, is, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If we are a Christ follower, 
If we, if we love the Lord and we want to be more like him and we want to we chase after his heart and we want what he wants and we want to experience um, him and, and, and follow the Holy Spirit and his guiding in our lives, we must not see hardships only in the light of this world, but rather in light of eternity. What is God pointing us to? What is he trying to, what is he saying, hey, this thing is between you and I? What is he trying to tell you? What is he trying to speak into your life? What, what, is he, what, what is he trying to express to you? What are you? What are we pushing aside? What are we ignoring in our lives? What are we justifying in our lives? You know, oftentimes we will we'll use, it's, it's tempting to use the Lord um, to justify, you know, buying something or doing something. Well, I, I, could, I could go do that thing that I really want to do that probably isn't best. And you know what? I could. Maybe I share the gospel with someone. Maybe I do. Okay. It's a, it's a good thought, I guess. Um, there's just one question. Did you? Did you take? Did you go there did, again? In this moment, did you go there with the express purpose of saying, "You know what, God? How can I give you most the most glory in this moment? God, who have I been praying for? How have I prayed to walk into this situation? God, who are you wanting me to speak to? Who are you wanting me to share your goodness with? Who am I supposed to encourage? Who am I supposed to uplift?" God, God, open my eyes to the opportunities around me. Who here is desperate for a Savior, is desperate for meaning and purpose and fulfillment and joy and love that only you can offer? Who is it? Who can I share it with? Who can I give it away to? God, I, I know what you've done for me. God, I know what you've done for me. I feel what you've done for me. God, who can I tell about it? Or are we just, it's a good day. Our gratitude, our gratitude is the beginning of our worship. We, our gratitude is the beginning of worshiping Him. Out of our gratitude, we speak about those things. What we feel thankful for, what we feel grateful for, we speak about those things. If I, if I get a nice car, I'm like, man, it's really nice. I'm going to tell you about it. If, if, I get, if I get a raise, sometimes, sometimes not, I might say, you know what, man, I've been, I've been blessed. What if I lose my job because God's trying to teach me something? What if I deal with sickness and pain and frustration? Am I still willing to go, but you know what, God, you've blessed me in this moment. You've blessed me with this. God, what are you trying to teach me? God, what are you trying to show me? Because if we're not leaning into that, if we're not asking that question, if we're not having that, that struggle as David had, it might not be that we're just content in our situation. It might be that we never really depended on God a lot in the first place.
I've been struggling on, on what, what to say at the end of all of this. Because again, it, it, it's, not, it's not the most, you know, be grateful sermon in the world. And I feel like the Lord's given me clarity to, 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 to bring it back to the base of our faith, to the, the, the beginning of our faith. That ultimately we are sinful creatures. Every single one of us. The person who you look up to most in the world is a sinful person who has sinful desires, whose flesh is trying to pull them away from their creator. The greatest Christian you've ever known is someone who has sinful desires, whose flesh is trying to pull them away from our creator. And there is a gap between us and God because of that. And it is not God, it is not because God is unfair. In fact, it's because he is incredibly fair. He's the most fair. But listen, here, here's the incredible part that God in, in his fairness and, and, just as, and, and just as much as he desires justice and just as holy as he is, he's also loving. He's incredibly loving. More loving than, any, than, than, than anyone. The most loving people in the world that you know that you're like, man, they just make me feel good being around them, pale in comparison to the love of God. And because of that love, because of that sinfulness, because of that brokenness, and us, God in his infinite love and wisdom provided the one and only way for us. The one and only way for us to come back to him, to know him, to find freedom and purpose and fulfillment and, and, and that love and that grace and that peace that only he can offer. He provided the one and only way, the singular way in order to give us that he provided him. And it was through himself. It was through his son, Jesus who didn't just kind of come down, become crucified, and then leave. No, he came and he lived a life that we lived. He, he walked the earth that we walk on. He experienced the things that we experienced. He felt the things we felt. If he was hungry, if he hadn't eaten, he was hungry. If he hadn't slept, he was tired. He experienced the life. He was 100% human, uh, but he was also 100% God. And in that, he walked through a perfect life where you have failed, where I have failed, where every person in all of eternity has failed. He didn't. He walked to the end. He walked through his life perfect. He spoke truth. He spoke such truth that people just flocked to him. He didn't, he didn't, like, he didn't sugarcoat it. No, he spoke truth. But he spoke truth in love and grace out of concern for others. And in the end, because he knew that we couldn't, that we couldn't save ourselves, you know, we feel this pressure, you know, like, to, to, you want me to share the gospel? I don't even know how to, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to do that. You're putting too much weight on yourself. You can't save yourself. Why would you think you can save someone else? All, all it is is Jesus came to save us. Jesus took the weight of my sin, of your sin, every sin you've ever committed, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, every sin that you've ever committed. Jesus took the weight, he put that on himself, and he was killed for it. But the worst part was not the, the beating and the crucifixion. The worst part was for the first time in all of existence, he was separated from his father. What I deserve I deserve separation from God. My sinfulness deserves that. that. That's what I do deserve. Again, we and again, back I said that God was incredibly fair. You know what? He, he is fair. But in a way, he's not. Because what's fair to me is eternity separated from him. That's what's fair to me. If I want to get what I deserve, you know, I deserve this. Okay, I deserve 
Hell, I deserve an eternity away from him. But God in his infinite love and his wisdom and, and love and affection for us sent his son to bear all that, to die, to take the very sin of us, to take the very punishment for our sin. But here, again, that, that is, man, that seems like a really sad story. It, it gets better, I promise. Not only did he take our punishment, but he defeated the punishment itself. He conquered death. None of us have ever done that. No one has ever done that. He conquered death. He overcame death. He came back. He defeated our sin. He ultimately left. But you know what? In God, once again, in his infinite grace, in his infinite love, he sends us a helper. He sent, Again, David said, Lord, be my helper. God sent us a helper. After his son, he sends us the Holy Spirit. He sends us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to convict us, to walk us through difficulty, to walk us through frustrations and hardship, but also to walk us through prosperity. If we're sensitive to it, if we're listening, if we're looking for him, if we're looking for opportunities for us to, to in our prosperity, to, to share the love of God, or in our hardship, if we're looking for opportunities in our hardship to share the love of God and to experience that, God did that for you. He did that for me. What more do I have to be grateful for? How can I keep my mouth shut? How can I not talk about it? How can I not share it with others? It's not that I want to beat people up. It's not that I want to make you all feel bad by reading this passage. That's not it at all. I'm just telling you that if we trust that God is who he is, then we trust in his ways and we trust that he is sovereign, that he knows best what is best for us. Then fine, Lord, teach me in my hardship. Teach me through difficulty, through frustration. I'm going to ask Chris to go ahead and come up. We're going to, we're going to sing. But listen, I also want to tell you, and this is just kind of on the back of the past two weeks, that we can think all of that and we can dwell on all that and we can experience all that, but are we reading about it? Are we consuming God's word? Are we, are, are we letting it change us? Are we letting it tell us what we're called to do? Are we truly giving of our time and our effort and our money and of our words and our thoughts and our actions and all of that? Are we giving of all of that back to the Lord? Are we sharing what God's done for us? Are we expressing our gratitude to him day in and day out, moment by moment? Are we doing that? Or are we saying, you know what, God, I, I deserve this. I've worked really hard for it. Listen, I can tell you, you can work as hard as you want for something. But once again, anything that is good that we have is of the Lord. Anything. I'm blessed with my family because God has blessed me. But God forbid something ever happened. God is still good. I'm blessed because God has blessed me. God has walked me through difficulty. God has walked me through things. He's walked a lot of you through difficulty. I've had the pleasure to walk with, through some of that stuff with some of you. And listen, he's still good. He's still good. It wasn't for a moment he wasn't. He is he is good. He was good, is good, and will be good tomorrow and the next day and for all eternity. He is good. What he, we have is anything that we have that is good is of him. And everything that happens to us, whether prosperity or hardship, is purely because God loves us and wants what his best is for us. Not what our best is, because his best is better. So I just want to, we want to just have an opportunity for a moment. If you want to come and pray, we would love for somebody to come and pray for you. If you just want to come up here and thank God for who he is and what he's done, then do that.
What better place? What better place to praise God for what he's done? To express gratitude to the Lord. Maybe you're in the dark right now. Maybe you're in the middle of the night. And in the middle of the night, you're experiencing hardship. We've got to learn to show gratitude in the dark. God, you are good. There's no no caveat needed. There's no no follow-up needed. You are good. In every moment, you are good. God, I pray that as we go about today and through our week and in every moment, God, that we seek your glory first and foremost. Not our own. Not what I want. Not what what I feel is best, but God, we, de- we desire your best. God, if that, is, if that is hardship to teach me, then Lord, bring hardship. Lord, that's, that's so hard to pray, God. It's so hard to pray. We don't want to, but, but Lord, it, it, first and foremost, if we want your glory, we've got to trust you. And to trust you means to trust in your ways. God, go with, go with us this week as many of us are traveling, as many of us are seeing family, spending time together. God, may we make much of you in our conversations, in our thoughts, in our actions, and everything we do. Thank you for who you are. In your name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed, church. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.